Hey everyone, I'm David Brussel. And I'm Marcus Terran. And this is The Thermal Review, a podcast about sensing, imaging, and automation advancements from the perspective of a couple technology geeks. In each episode, we discuss how the world is changing for cloud-based monitoring, quality assurance, and non-destructive testing. Recycling facilities receive flammable materials like lubricants, paints, grease, oil, propane, and gas tanks mingled with recyclables. As recycled materials are cut, crushed, compacted, or shredded, traces of flammable substances can ignite when pressure is applied or sparks from friction are present. The number of metal recycling fires has risen over the past few years. A cause for this may be due to the increased amount of lithium-ion batteries found in the waste stream. With more lithium-ion batteries in consumer goods and an emphasis on recycling, we see more battery waste in recycling centers. When lithium-ion batteries are broken or crushed, they can experience thermal runaway and catch fire, thus magnifying an already hazardous condition when added to the scrap metal recycling process. Our guest today on the Thermal Review is Jamie Andreezy. Jamie is the director of Waukesha Iron and Metal. Waukesha Iron and Metal is a third generation family owned company company that has been providing recycling services to business throughout the Midwest since 1956. Their commitment and dedication to customer service has allowed Waukesha Iron and Metal to offer recycling solutions for large or small businesses for over 50 years. In this episode of the Thermal Review, we will discuss the impact of fires in metal recycling facilities and how thermal imaging can be used to prevent them. Welcome, guys. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. As always, we have uh, Mr. Marcus Tarrant here with us, the president and CEO of MobiTherm. And as I mentioned in our intro, we have Mr. Andreezy here, Jamie, with us, director at Waukesha Iron and Metal. Welcome, Jamie. It's great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here and uh, share a little bit about the knowledge and talk thermal. Awesome. How Absolutely. are things out in Wisconsin today? Well, uh, we're processing. <laughs> we're getting over winter and into the spring months, which adds more um, complexity, a lot of water, a lot of cold winds and uh, miserable conditions for the most part, right? It's the Midwest. (laughs) It is the Midwest. Well, uh, again, thank you, Jamie, for joining us. I I hope we could dive right in. Perhaps, Jamie, you could tell us a little bit about uh, Waukesha. You know, I mentioned it just briefly in sure. our in our opening paragraph, and also maybe a little bit about who's Jamie. What are you doing at Waukesha, and 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 uh, give us a, give us a little background. Sure. Well, who's Jamie? Uh, Jamie's been in the risk management business since about 1997. Went uh, to school with an undergraduate for occupational safety and health. Decided to stay around for my master's in occupational safety and health. Uh, really focusing all throughout risk. I've worked for insurance companies, brokers, road construction, vertical construction, and now here at the recycling plant, uh, working with these guys. So we touch on transportation, but also the hazards of keeping people safe in the recycling world. Uh, Metal recycling is right now, the SIC code for it is the fifth most dangerous 
uh, occupation that OSHA deals with. So there's a lot of hazards out there and a lot of fires that certainly come up a lot. Uh, Waukesha Iron and Metal, like you said, Dave, has been around since 1956 and, of course, has changed over the years from parts to uh, more recycling cars and getting rid of the parts and to selling our material to people that had shredders to about 12 years ago, the owner installed the shredder, which obviously opens up a lot more hazards and uh, grinding up metal and, and making sure that you don't have fires through metal. I've been here for about seven years. Uh, since I've been here, we've we've increased our mill from a 60-inch mill to an 80-inch mill, uh, which basically doubled our output. We can turn out about 120 ton an hour, uh, which is a, a tremendous amount of steel. That's amazing, yeah. Jamie. Thank you for that uh, that additional detail, and again for joining us today. You, I wasn't aware that. Wow, number five. Yeah. On, on the OSHA list mm -hmm. uh, for hazardous, uh, I guess, environments. Um, tell, tell, can you, can you share with us a little bit about, you know, how, I mean, you mentioned fires. We, we led into this conversation today talking about fires and recycling pans. I, I wonder if a lot of time people understand that, yes, fires actually do happen in metal recycling facilities. You know, sometimes people think, oh, it's metal. It's not going to burn. It, what, what kind of impact uh, do fires uh, at, at uh, you know, in metal recycling, what kind of impacts do those have? Well, you know, like if you take a manganese engine, let's say like a Volkswagen motor, right? That type of material, that commodity will catch on fire when it's shred and it becomes very super hot to fight, you know? So for number one, you have to educate and understand what you're dealing with and where you're putting the material and how it's going to take effect towards it, right? Mm. Number two, uh, you take a look at the material and, and what are you doing with it? You know, if you're shredding cars, the whole car is going in there. So you have oil, leftover oil residue, you have foam seats, you have cloth materials, you have rubber, you have all types of things that get pushed through the shredder and then separated on the other side. So those things can catch fire easily. Uh, what, what you don't want to do is, is uh, have, have a large fire that takes your shredder down right? Or an explosion. It's more going to be mm. the explosion side of it that takes your equipment out. And then the fire, you know, you try to manage it and control it and put it out. Gotcha. So, well, Jamie, what are, what are you guys experiencing there and maybe even other metal recycling facilities when it comes to this lithium ion battery challenge, if you will? More inspectors, right? The more inspectors you have on the ground looking through the materials, the more you'll find things. Uh, a lithium-ion battery can be inside of a vaporizer pen, right? It's the size mm -hmm. of a writing utensil, so that's hard to see, or a laptop or a cell phone. Um, I think I shared with you guys the, the laptop that was on fire, you know, spontaneously combusted when it was crushed. Um, so what we're doing is we're trying to do uh, pile reduction increase the amount of inspections, and then also buy less appliances, right, that have battery backups in them, or they have like a refrigerator. Uh, we'll use propane for, for a, mm. a refrigerant, right? So if, if you're not aware of which appliances use propane for freezing and, and thawing or, or refrigerating, you're just throwing a bomb in your shredder. 
essentially, right? So yeah. the way our shredder is, and I'm sure most metal shredders are, they're, they're going to work the same as you have a huge shaft in there with a bunch of hammers that swivel around and, and the shaft spins at a couple thousand miles an hour and the hammers do too. And it's just, you know, it's steel on steel, breaking bigger steel into smaller parts and uh, making a lot of sparks that fly out everywhere. And when the material ends up leaving the shredder box, it's about 12 to 1400 degrees, right? Because it's raw steel beating up steel, making smaller parts. Hmm. Jamie, can you, can you share with our audience, you know, what, what, what are the impacts to, to a company like Waukesha or others that, that may experience one of these extremely hot burning fires? What's, what, what does that mean for you guys? Well, it means a couple of things. So if you're, if you have an explosion, right, that the, the initial explosion is going to help determine how much damage you have, right? And so um, it's more or less going to relate to the mill because when you put the material in and it's, it's falling in like a shoebox, right, and it's encaged in like four-inch steel walls or two-inch steel walls and it will blow up, but there's parts inside the mill or flaps for the for the gases to go out the smokestack and typically you'll blow a couple flaps off or you'll damage some internal part and if that shuts you down every hour you're down it could be thousands of dollars right that you're not producing mm. metal mm. that's that's mm. the impact well, towards it yeah when when it comes to um you know uh regulatory um and also like environmental, let's say, type impacts to metal recycling. How, how, do, how do those factors play into, you know, having, having on-site fires? What are, what are those implications? Well, you know, I, I really think that <clears throat> facilities that <clears throat> are this size, even a little smaller, they have fires. They're not telling you about all the fires, right? They're non-reportable fires. So the fires yeah. that get actually reported <clears throat> to the fire department, uh, after so many fires, the community gets upset. And then, you know, not only are they calling the fire department when they see the smoke and the boom, uh, but they're calling the DNR, they're calling the EPA. Uh, when the firefighting department comes on site, if they're spraying water, uh, the public wants to know where that dirty water is going, mm. you know, and, and what is in it that's dirty. So it, it creates a lot of complications. And then, you know, where is it going? How are you treating the water? Uh, it, it creates a lot of problems. Yeah. I, I imagine, too, that, gosh, uh, maintaining and, and, and uh, having insurance, if you will, to cover a facility, the employees that work there, and all the other, you know, factors uh, associated with running a facility is pretty critical. How... How does how does insurance or are there any implications on the insurance side of things when it comes to, you know, fires and fire prevention? Right. Well, it definitely plays into the role. And of course, uh, most companies are using bigger insurance carriers that have risk control and the brokers that are involved has risk control. And the brokers will be working with the carriers to be looking at their customers and making sure that they can best position themselves. So, you know, what am I talking about? If you're going out for quote and we're talking about property insurance, well, the carrier is wanting to know what you're doing with your fluff or your auto shred residue. 
right? Which is your headliners, your rubber, anything that comes out of a car and becomes your waste pile. We call it fluff. It's actually called mm. auto shred residue and uh, that's very flammable. So the insurance companies want to see that at least 50 feet away from any building, if not further. Uh, if you can't make it there, you may get an insurance quote. You may not be quoted because of uh, stipulations. You know, where is your fluff pile? And it's too close to the buildings. And, you know, what do you have inside? And do you have sprinklers in your buildings? And what kind of fire protection do you have? Okay. So as we see more fires and it, it, we definitely have seen an uptick in fires in the last two years. The insurance companies are asking you the risk to partner with them by looking at thermal detection uses, right? So what, what are we using? Are we using uh, 24 hour a day? Are we using something that uh, your camera company can actually work a fire depression system and spray out. Um, those are all important factors towards how your insurance premiums are, are eventually written, right? And how cooperative you are, the risk with working with the insurance company, right? Are you open to thermal imaging mm. cameras? Are you not open to that? And those will all affect, do you or don't you get insurance today? Or what your premium will be? Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you, Jamie. This is a great, I, I guess, transition in our conversation here um, with regards to thermal imaging. And of course, Marcus, that's that's why we have you here. I mean, you're our, you're our thermal imaging expert. Uh, we, we've talked about a couple different, you know, sources or causes for fires. So the lithium ion battery one is, is, is seems to be, I, I just seem to be hearing about it more and more. In fact, I was on a, a webinar just last week where there was a conversation about lithium-ion battery uh, fires. Um, so, Marcus, maybe you can kind of explain to, to our audience uh, why thermal imaging can be useful for, uh, I guess it would be fire prevention, early fire detection. Why, why does it work so well for that? Maybe you can explain to our audience, and even in a setting like a metal recycling. Yeah, absolutely. So where thermal imaging has advantages is, is a um, the ability with a camera to to see a very large area all at once right and monitoring that area really in real time so every pixel becomes a temperature sensor if you will and it's being monitored uh, in in real time and um, what do we typically do with with fire detection if uh, from a human perspective is we look for signs of fire right so this may be smoke development this may be an actual flame development, but usually it's already quite far along in terms of the event itself, right? It, the fire has already kind of broken out, right? Mm -hmm. And then once it does, it typically goes pretty quick, depending on what the flammables are in the area and the conditions. I mean, sometimes it's, it's smoldering for a while, but so what you really want to do is you want to you have some sort of an early warning system, right? So that's where the thermal imaging comes in. And let's say that that thermal runaway condition Let's say if you have a, a physical impact on a uh, on a lithium-ion battery pack, for instance, they don't like to be squished, so to speak, right? No. <laughs> because the layers the layers inside the battery, um, you know, between the positive and negative, they, they're wound up around. They have an electrolyte, and if 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 you squeeze this together, that you can create like a shortcut situation, and then you can create a, a runaway. So it just gets warmer and warmer, and you have a chemical reaction in there. And um, 
but there's a certain amount of time scale involved, right? So if the thermal camera can see that battery pack now getting warmer and warmer, it will, you know, stick out like a thumb, like like a sore thumb, like basically, um, you know, like a hot spot that's in a pile. So it's like something doesn't look like the other sort of a situation <laughs> where like, oh, something is getting warmer and warmer. So um, if you set the, the alarm threshold to pick that out, um, you may get, um, or you most definitely get uh, uh, an alarm or like a warning signal from the system. And you can hopefully send somebody there or go there yourself and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, the camera picked something up over there and, and you can maybe remove that hotspot from the pile before it catches fire, you know, before the fire actually starts and then prevent the bigger disaster. So it, it buys you that extra time, um, you know, that you otherwise don't get because our human eyes cannot see heat. Mm. Thermal cameras can, right? So we can see smoke, we can see flames, anything in the visible range, but thermal cameras uh, have that extra sixth sense that can actually see the heat before hopefully something bigger happens, right? Brilliant. Thank you, thank you, Marcus. Marcus, on on this subject of um, of thermal imaging, you know, having just a camera alone probably isn't going to be the solution, right? I mean, you could take a thermal camera out there, right? You could point it at a pile or some material, uh, and then hook it up to a monitor. But then you got somebody sitting in front of a monitor all day, right, monitoring right. it. Now. I, I know these cameras are a little smarter than that. And maybe maybe you can just share what that means. And uh, we're hearing more and more about smart, you know, infrared cameras. Why, why is a smart infrared camera revolutionary to, to, to fire detection? So in the old days, you literally just had a camera. It didn't really matter whether it was a thermal camera or a regular surveillance camera, if you will. And it would just produce an image stream. So you would just get an image stream or video stream. And then a human had to look at it and say, okay, well, there I see something. Some, so, so that would require in, in this fire monitoring setting, it would require a human to sit there and, and stare, like you said, 24-7 at a screen, which is not a fun job to do. It's very boring because most of the time nothing happens, right? It's, and thermal it's, imaging um, is cool you know, to look at, but after a while. I mean... <laughs> yeah, to, to an extent, right? <laughs> and, and so people were starting to play video games and, and, and not paying attention anymore because, you know, they get fatigued, they get distracted, right. you have conversations with coworkers <laughs> and all those kind of other things. And, and, and it didn't really become that effective anymore. Um, what we do is really, you know, we use a combination of smart cameras and uh, what we call an IoT platform, Internet of Things, where the smart camera has already a processing unit inside the camera that already looks for issues looks for, let's say, that threshold of like, what do I determine to be abnormally warm? And then notifies um, a system that sits in the cloud, a piece of software, if you will, that runs on the server somewhere in the cloud and says, hey, I spotted something. Mm. So it's really an event-based system. It's no longer 24-7 monitoring, looking, looking, looking. I mean, it does that, but it doesn't require any attention. It requires attention if something is out of the ordinary, right? So... That's where the combination of that and the IoT system becomes so powerful because now the system can essentially create an alarm situation or at least a notification situation. And you can do this on an early, like if you want to be very cautious, you do this on an earlier level and, and say, hey, I spotted something. I'm not really sure if this is of interest yet, but you may want to check it out sort of a thing to the, hey, you better get here out quick. 
So you have the ability to set different alarm thresholds or warning thresholds. And then you can get notified uh, by, by text message, voice call, you know, local alarms. Um, because the, the scenario is different too, is, is the person really on site? And even if the person is on site, is he taking a bathroom break or a lunch break? Or mm. is the person sound asleep at home? I mean, those are all different scenarios that need to be covered. And Jamie actually challenged us and say, hey, text message isn't good enough <laughs> for me. I need a phone call. Yep. So we that's actually, you know, give him kudos and credit for that feature in our system. It actually, there's now a voice call feature <laughs> that actually calls people and says, hey, you better pay attention to this. I think right. that's really so smart. That's kind of, <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's really, uh, which made total sense because it's it's more urgent than just a little pling sound for a text message, which is easy. You know, if, if I mean, I sleep through those things, yeah, but so if my phone starts ringing, it's a different situation, right? So, yeah, so that's that's where the power of those kind of things come in. So it doesn't require any more a person monitoring things. You don't, you know, it, it, it makes it more affordable because you don't have to pay the wages for like three shifts now looking at your screen. Mm -hmm. And the system can still, if you have a, a, a fire suppression system, based on the, what the camera sees, we can trigger a fire suppression system from there as well. Mm. So those are the powerful things and it's fully automated, you know. Right. You, you know what I like about it, Marcus? Uh, what I like about it, Marcus, that it gives us the ability to uh, put on there the alarming of, you know, multiple people, right? So we get to alarm yep. every one of our supervisors or the people that are there close. We actually call the fire department. We're set up so that a call goes out. If it's between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., it's going to call the fire department. That was going to yeah, be a, a follow-on question for you, Jamie. I was, <laughs> I was going to, because you, you are utilizing this thermal imaging technology uh, at your facility and uh, are, are leveraging this smart camera capability along with connectivity to the cloud. I mean, you just mentioned how you're able to uh, mass inform or, or inform beyond just a, a couple individuals on what's, what's happening at the facility, even the local fire department, which is just pretty powerful. Very powerful. <laughs> and if, if we can get them there before the fire gets out of control, then we mm. can, we can control it. Right. So it's a team approach. We'll have our staff go. If there is a fire, we'll have them show up. They'll meet the fire department there and they'll work as a team to extinguish the fire. You know, maybe, maybe we have to have our people operate the equipment so that we can grab chunks of fire and put it out on the ground so that the fire department then can safely fight it versus a mountain of material. Mm. Mm. How, how else is the, is, is, is the, uh, is the, the installation and deployment of, of, smart thermal imaging and cloud-based technology impacting your guys' operation, Jamie? Well, it, it is impacting us. Uh, it gives us the ability to see hot spots prior to starting, okay? And with the alarming system, we can send people down there. Good point that we actually do have an alarm during the day. So in case our employees are, you know, doing other things besides looking at the pile, right? So mm -hmm. we can go out then take a look at it. Uh, it it's helped us at nighttime immensely by being able to be alerted if there is a hot spot, right? And then being able to see the camera, the photograph that it's taken of the hot spot to say, okay, that was a piece of equipment or, hey, okay, maybe they're air arcing on the grates tonight and the air arc is sending off false signals. 
which definitely happens. We saw that happen on uh, Friday night. <laughs> but instead <laughs> of a, uh, a fire alarm, you were able to, to resolve that, it sounds like, by just looking at the thermal imaging. Right. You know, and, and then coordinating with our production staff, uh, mechanics, knowing what they were doing. They're, they're air arcing and working on grates, which, okay, this will set off the alarm. Be aware of this. So, Jamie and Marcus, I'm going to ask you both this question because we're we're getting ready to wrap up here soon. But where where do you see this headed? Right? Where where what where do you see the future developments in this space when it comes to thermal imaging technology? You know, IoT and, and metal recycling. Where, where do you kind of see things heading? Well, I, I definitely foresee the use, the continued use of thermal imaging cameras. I think it's going to evolve as as business evolves and people figure out how to prevent fires and how to fight fires and how to reduce exposure to those fires. Uh, and certainly as thermal imaging and your platform uh, continues to work and, and people are introduced to the platforms, they'll understand that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's multiple pair of eyes without having physical eyes from a person on it. Right. Mm, yeah. Excellent. Right. Mr. Taron. Yeah. I have all kinds of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for one thing I see, um, artificial, artificial intelligence playing a bigger role in the future as well, um, for assessing the situation, helping to assess the situation a little bit more intelligently. Hmm. Um, the other things, um, I can see, I mean, obviously, there, there have to be business cases that make sense and, sense and, and justify the issues. But we have seen, uh, you know, Boston Dynamics with their spot robot, for instance. You could, for instance, say, um, why not deploying a robot um, and have the robot walk the scene and, and get closer to the situation and get a closer look at things like what's going on, right? Especially mm -hmm. in a dangerous environment like a recycling facility, right? Mm -hmm. At night, you know, that would be an option. Or... With the help of drones, why not deploying a couple of drones that are on standby, fly around and see like what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So those kind of things I can see further as an augmentation of sensors that are just statically mounted, for instance, um, that could add some value. Uh, the drone technology, I think, today is already pretty much there. Um, the, the robot technology is still quite pricey, mm -hmm. but I think uh, as time goes on, I think there, there will be applications like that as well. Yeah. Awesome. So even even smarter cameras in the future and other alternatives for, for inspection, perhaps. Um, Jamie, it's interesting. I, I, I still think of thermal imaging as like the oldest, newest technology out there, right? I mean, it's been around for 50 plus years. Thermal right. Imaging, right. right? Yep. But it's it seems like new uses and applications for the technology are continually developing and and presenting themselves as uh, awareness increases around the technology. I mean, just, you know, Waukesha on what you guys are doing there, I think, is an example of that. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah, which um, is, is really, again, kind of goes back to the whole purpose of this podcast, which is really to educate and share with uh, others the power of, of thermal imaging and what it, what it can do and, and how it can make lives uh, easier, if you will, uh, simplify things, uh, 
simplify the complex is what we like to say at Moviterm. <laughs> That's part of our our vision here. Well, that that wraps things up for for this episode of the Thermal Review. And uh, Jamie, again, thank you uh, for joining us and uh, for sharing your your expertise in in the you know in this space specifically in the metal recycling space. Uh, thank you for that. And, and Marcus, again, thank you for helping us always better understand the power of, of thermal imaging and especially how it can be helpful in preventing fires in metal recycling facilities. And, and of course, thank you to our listeners for, for, for joining us. Um, any, any parting comments or remarks from, from you, Jamie? Well, you, you know, guys, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the podcast and certainly anytime that you want to fly over and see our, our facility or ask any questions or, you know, I even open up to maybe some of your other listeners uh, work through Movie Therm and we can we can do some conversations, right? Answers, questions, be be a help to people in the industry trying to better themselves and better their facility. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Mr. Taron. Yeah, I, I wanted to also uh, second that in terms of uh, thanking, uh, thanking you, Jamie, for, for joining, making time to, to be part of this podcast. And, and I think it's invaluable for our listeners to uh, listen really to, to an, an end customer that is utilizing and benefiting from the technology. I think that's always uh, puts a whole lot more credibility uh, on the technology than just us talking about it, right? Obviously, right. If, uh, you know the customer voice is very very important and so that's uh it's always special to have a guest uh, on board here yeah. so hopefully our our listeners uh you know find find that all useful yeah and jamie and, thank uh, you again for making yourselves available absolutely. yourself available even beyond the podcast to help in this you know this this spirit of education and awareness well, it's a learning curve and, you know, uh, you guys are great. You've been helping our organization understand the platform and, and how to set it up. And, you know, once it's dialed in, I, I it, it kind of works itself, right? You know, and so I have no problem uh, answering questions and helping people figure out the best way to keep their facilities safe from fires, right? And, mm -hmm. and I looked at four or five different setups and I came up with uh, movie therms, internet of things to be the best thing for our organization and each and every organization will be different, but I would assume there's a lot like mine. Jamie, yep. thank you. We're humbled by that statement. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. To our listeners, if you, if you want to learn more about uh, what's discussed here in our thermal uh, review podcast, please visit, visit our, our website at uh, mobitherm.com. And as always, uh, we encourage you to uh, subscribe uh, via your, your favorite platform, and uh, you'll be made aware when new episodes come available. And as always, we are looking for uh, suggestions and ideas and comments with regards to future comments, and we appreciate those that have already been submitted, and, and they are definitely in the works. So thank you again. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye.